I'm your host, Joe Agoda, and this is the season two premiere episode of Let's Break Good, the podcast where we never settle for good enough. Equipment giveaways in Africa, unpaid intern labor, software donations to charities, all well-intentioned and supposedly at no cost to the receiver. But could these freebies actually have a hidden price? On this episode, we ask the question, what is the cost of free when it comes to nonprofit, philanthropic, and development work? Are there negative consequences to free that we might be missing? What are the times when the cost of giving something away is still totally worth it? And is there a language of free that many of us may be using that perpetuates the very social problems we are trying to solve? Let's get into it. Let's get started. I want to break free. If you are new to the podcast, this episode should be enjoyable on its own, but it will contain some references to people, places, and stories that are from season one. You can always go back later and listen to any you may have missed. We start today in the same place as our first ever episode of the podcast, in East Africa, near the equator and border of Uganda and Rwanda. It's 2007. I'm recently out of college volunteering on a project to provide home-based care to HIV patients in a rural community. I'm discussing with my collaborator on the project, Dr. JB, who grew up in the village we were working in, about the possibility of giving away bicycles to healthcare workers for free as part of the project. To me, it sounded like a pretty good idea. It would help these workers reach more homes and do a lot less walking. But to Dr. JB, it was a terrible idea. Surprised that such a valued item like a bicycle would not be a helpful gift, I questioned my colleague, why? There are hidden costs you might not see, Dr. JB shared. I am from around these parts, and I promise you, it's a bad idea. But let me try to explain. With that, Dr. JB did what he often would do and launched into one of his stories. Before becoming a doctor or growing up in this rural community, Dr. JB had an entry-level position at a local maize mill. It was an agricultural job that entailed working with a factory to turn maize or corn into a form that was safe for consumption in foods like porridge, flour, or grits. Dr. JB's job was simple, but it was also a repetitive task that took a lot of effort. Each day, he would sift big bags of ground corn multiple times into multiple machines into smaller and smaller bags until it reached a refined state that was most valuable for selling. It was an exhausting, dusty job. After a few months at it, with the money he had saved up, Dr. JB purchased something that was going to make his life a lot easier. You see, he had been walking to work all this time. It was quite a distance. He had no car, there was no public bus, and the taxis would eat too much into his pay. Now he had enough money to buy his own bicycle, and that would radically cut his commute time. Even though he was telling me this story years after buying that bicycle, 
Dr. JB beamed as he talked about the two-wheeler. It was his pride and joy. He took great care of it and had it looking shiny and new every single day. Then, one day, young Dr. JB got exciting news. He received a scholarship that would allow him to study medicine in the capital city, Kampala, over a seven-hour drive away. After letting the maze mill know he would be departing soon, another youth from the village was trained to take his place. And this young man would have the same plight as Dr. JB had before buying his bicycle, a long walk before and after a strenuous workday. Since Dr. JB couldn't bring the bicycle to the city, he thought, why not it? let it be used by someone who could really benefit from it. He gave the bicycle as a parting gift to the youth before he departed for the capital city. About a year later, Dr. JB came back to the village to visit his family and friends. He had some time to check on his old colleague and see how the mill was doing, and of course, check on his beloved bicycle. But when he arrived, the young man said he had not used the bicycle for some months. It had gotten banged up with a flat tire and he couldn't figure out nor afford fixing it. The bicycle was in the corner, a dusty, dirty mess. Dr. JB was shocked by the miscare of the bike. With some effort, the young man could have taught himself to change the tire. Repair wasn't even that expensive. But when Dr. JB asked him why he left the bike like this, the response was again that he had tried to fix it, and he was broke. He asked Dr. JB, well, maybe if he had some spare money to give him. But Dr. JB declined and the bicycle was never to ride again. The bicycle story exemplifies a dangerous misconception that a well-intentioned donation will always get put to good use. There are hidden costs and negative consequences that can be caused by donations. To Dr. JB and the bicycle story, ownership mattered. The recipient of the bicycle had no pride or attachment to it, in part because it was free. He didn't pay for it and did not put in the effort to keep the bike in good shape. He hadn't been taught to do simple maintenance, had no spare tires, so he couldn't do the easy fix. Dr. JB was arguing to me that handouts in our project would have a low likelihood to be maintained and were more likely to be broke sold, or stolen. Since Dr. JB told me that story back in 2007, I've seen similar things happen many times over in development work, sometimes on a larger, costlier scale. For example, computer lab donations to schools in Africa and Southeast Asia. Again, a well-meaning gift. Multiple computers, laptops, and screens. But the people donating the equipment often would fly in give the equipment out at a stage ceremony, and then fly out, overlooking a few big questions. While in the U.S., a computer lab may conjure an image of public spaces, schools, and libraries, in these rural remote communities, the context was very different. There was a much higher installation cost. Sometimes new desks were needed, new chairs, internet, software, and even physical spaces to house the computer labs themselves. In other cases, there was no electricity in the area, or very limited electricity, or just very expensive electricity that couldn't be maintained locally. And what about training the teachers who may not know how to use a computer themselves, let alone teach the students with them without any curriculum? 
Then there was problem of limited spare parts, limited local tech support. And so when problems arose with the computers, sometimes they just couldn't be fixed. Fear of theft was a problem too. I witnessed at least one school that kept their computer lab on lock and key, only opening it when a donor or high profile individual would come in which they would stage students in there to make it look like it was being used. Even corruption. In one case, free computers were seen as a valuable asset by a principal that couldn't pass up an opportunity. They sold the equipment and fled the town. Beyond the computer lab example, I've heard more stories. For example, massive food and clothing donations going to an area where it was not necessarily needed, causing a loss of business to local farmers and artisans in the process. The cost of free here was a local market disruption. But I want to stop for a moment because I'm not saying free is always a bad thing. Unequivocally, there are times and things that should be given to people. In disaster scenarios, where people lose everything, where their very lives are at risks. After hurricanes, earthquakes, or during disease outbreaks, free in this case is the difference between life and death. There are also circumstances when deeply rooted challenges like systemic oppression or exclusion requires social investment financial capital, things given to people for free to help overcome problems that have been perpetuated for tens or sometimes hundreds of years. Here is free being part of an equitable approach. One more circumstance is when basic human rights aren't being met, like food, water, shelter. You can look at the UNICEF Rights of the Child. It does a good job outlining things that should be given for free if they're not available. Like there's no way we should make children pay for their own safety. But on the other end of the spectrum, there are still free things that are pervasive in the nonprofit development and philanthropic world that I find egregious and need to be called out. These are common, no-cost things that may seem harmless at first, but their effects can be quite frustrating and damaging. To start, unpaid interns. Positions fueled on the promise of resume building and networking opportunities. Colleges or parents cover the living costs, which means that you have to come from some means to even take one of those door-opening unpaid internships. Once in the organization and working for free, there are often too many interns. They start to run amok, needing a lot of attention, not having work and wanting to be kept busy. Even in some cases, since they are working for nothing, they get elevated to an elite status. Literally, I was at one organization with a flat hierarchy, which meant unpaid interns had the same influence as the mid-career professionals, and it led to really weak results in projects. Seriously, there is no amount of ice cream and pizza parties that make up for the unpaid intern position. It's an injustice to the individual intern too. They're doing grunt work for a person with a paid position and getting little in return. I say people should be paid their value. Perpetuating systems that rely on unpaid interns have a cost to the efficiency, impact, and use of donation dollars. Next, let's talk about free tech 
and software product donations. One time, I was contacted by a social media company with all good intentions wanting to help our organization and our cause. But once we started working with them, the answer to almost every problem was to get more people to use their social media products, which of course they would provide for free. They really thought it was a good offer, but a service without some financial investment is not enough. When I asked if they could pony up some money from their huge social media company to help us do training, customization, and other creative things with the platform in person, they stopped responding to my emails. Software license being free from a corporate product to even an open source tool sounds so good. I don't have to pay for it. No budget wasted. But you still need training and support hours. Technology is not always the answer and free software on its own can create more headaches than it solves. The cost here is wasted hours, many moments of frustration, and can rise up to levels of privacy concerns or even total project failures when a free technology is not used correctly. Lastly, something that bothers me the most, which is what I call the language of it must be free. What I mean by that is when development or nonprofit projects assume that they need to give things away free to people because they are so less fortunate than they personally are. Sometimes free donations are necessary, like I've mentioned, but not always. Sometimes it's not sustainable. Sometimes it creates a dependency. Sometimes it perpetuates the very problems people are trying to solve. To me, fundamentally, we need to break the language underpinned by a mindset that assumes free too often. What is that language? Third world country, developing country, impoverished country. Regions and countries can have their own names. We can be specific about the communities, what their name is, and where they are. The cost of this language is that we perpetuate stereotypes and miss out on opportunities to use valuable donation dollars on more sustainable entrepreneurial efforts. Now, back to our main question. What is the price of free? There is no one answer, but let's start by acknowledging there is a cost, and each case is different. Sometimes very little, other times large. The cost can be hidden, sorta obvious, or in your face. You cannot forget the cost of sustainability. There's a price in the project even when components of it are free, whether that be the people, local economies, or the environment. So check your assumptions. Does it need to be free? What hidden costs might you be missing? Because the mindset of making it free might actually be reinforcing the very status quo you are trying to break. But life still goes on. That brings us to the end of our episode. I want to thank my friend, Dr. JB, who I've gotten to work with on numerous projects, and he's taught me so much through his many stories and lessons. I want to thank our producer, Simon Green, who you can find on Twitter at iSimonG. He always makes sure that the podcast is sounding so good. The music from this episode came from DJ Sikopian an awesome Ugandan DJ who you can find on YouTube. 
Our recording was done using Zencaster, hosted with SoundCloud, and spread on platforms like Apple Podcasts and Spotify. If you are interested to learn more about alternative models to free, check out our interview with Harish Hande, a social entrepreneur from India who we had on season one, episode nine. Now there is something of value that is free that you can do for me. You can go rate and review the podcast wherever you listen. Follow us on Twitter at Let's Break Good. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and visit letsbreakgood.com for information or to get in touch with us. Until next time, I'm Joe Agoda and this is the Let's Break Good podcast. Let's break good.